Okay, don't be afraid. The book of Revelation is not designed to scare you. It's designed to give you hope. It's all about hope. It's all about discipleship. But most importantly, it is all about Jesus Christ. So we are so excited to offer these sermons on the book of Revelation. We hope you enjoy them. So I want you to think about the world as it is right now. Um, And I wonder, what if, what if we really listened? Like, what if we really listened to each other? We don't have to agree with each other, right? With wisdom, with discernment, knowing scripture, we can hear lies, we can hear what's not true, things we shouldn't follow, but what if we really just listened? At least understood why the other person feels the way that they feel. What if we listened and heard one another? Would the tone of our conversations be a little different? I feel like they would. More importantly than that, what if we really listened to Jesus? What if we really listened to what he has to say to us? Not just the stuff that makes us feel like we're on the right track but the stuff that might challenge what we know or what we believe or how we want to live? What if we trusted him, that his word is good, that he knows what's right? And instead of arguing with him, what if we listened and trusted and obeyed? I think that might matter. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, um, we are grateful. We are grateful for this creation even though uh, it seems like it's going out of control. (laughs) Too many fires, too many hurricanes, just, it feels chaotic. But you are the Lord of creation and we trust you with it. And we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who today is gonna give us uh, this comforting and challenging message um, through these letters to seven churches. And Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that it can be our comforter and guide as we hear your comforting and challenging words. So give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so this is the third week in our series on the letter of Revelation. Uh, This series, it might take us all the way until Jesus finally does return. Um, which the way this year is going could be any day now. I was joking with Jennifer the other day, we were watching TV and there was like, what, 25 hurricanes in the Atlantic all at the same time. And I was like, you know what? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about Revelation. Like maybe, maybe it is a countdown. Maybe we're there. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, but this week is going to be a little different than the last two. Um, if you remember back in August, we did a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And the first sermon in that series was the greatest sermon ever preached. Right? Do y'all remember it? It was the greatest sermon ever preached. You should remember it. We just read the Sermon on the Mount, word for word, in its entirety. Uh, So today we're going to do something similar. Uh, We're just going to hear Revelation 2 and 3, these letters to seven churches, in its entirety from start to finish. Now, this section, these letters to the churches, they're probably the most familiar part of Revelation. If you've ever studied Revelation or heard a sermon series on Revelation, you probably focused on these letters. So over the past couple weeks... um, we began by reading chapter one. 
And we said that this is the revelation of Jesus, but the unique thing about revelation is it's the revelation of Jesus as he is today. So it's the same Jesus we found in the Gospels, but it looks a little different. Now, before we get to chapter 4 and 5, which is the worship scene, this beautiful throne room scene with Jesus on his throne and all creation around him worshiping. And before we get to Revelation 6 and everything that comes after, which describes the work that Jesus is doing in finally redeeming everything to himself, we first have to go through the bride of Christ. We have to go through his church. There's a really important message for us, just a message in the way the book is laid out. Chapters 2 and 3, they're not there on accident. They're not a random insertion. They're there on purpose. Because you don't get from the revelation of who Jesus is to the worship and work of Jesus without first going through his church. So I want to share a couple thoughts before we read this. Um, Just a couple things for you to pay attention to as you listen. So the first thing from Revelation 1-3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So Revelation tells us from the very beginning exactly what we're supposed to do. We are to read this book, we are to listen, we're to hear it, and we are to obey it. There was a Canadian philosopher named Marshall McLuhan. Uh, He was a professor of media theory. He read G.K. Chesterton and came to know Christ through that literature and through his writing. So he made this observation. He said, the creator did not equip us with ear lids, but we have compensated for the creator's oversight by developing selective listening. The Jewish writing has an idiom for this idea. It's called having heavy ears. It's actually mentioned in the book of Isaiah. One writer describes it like this. He says, we're conveniently deaf to sounds that challenge our pride, command our obedience, interrupt our fantasies, or call attention to our failures. Heavy ears make it possible to pursue wrong pleasure, indulge empty dreams, and escape onerous tasks with only the minimal discomfort of our conscience. Now, listening is the most important job the church has. Listening is the job of creation. One of the great insights from Jewish writing about creation itself, it's called the grammar of creation. And the rabbis did this really cool thing with the word creation. They said, in the beginning, the creator creates creation. They use one word, and in three different forms, everybody is assigned their task. The creator creates. Creation listens and responds. And in doing so, we become his good creation. So listening and responding, it's the most important job that we have today. That parable that Beth talked about, it highlights the importance of listening. The importance of our ears as the entry point for God's word. Because if we can't hear it, we can't receive what's spoken by Jesus, then how can we obey it? Revelation 2.7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just take a wild guess. How many times that verse is repeated in chapters 2 and (laughs) 3? That's right, you know, it's 7. 
So our job is to use our ear-lid-free ears to turn off our selective hearing and listen to what Jesus has to say to the seven churches, because this is a message to the whole church, no matter when or where on earth we happen to be. A second, now there are a couple of features of these letters that you can listen for as you hear it read. Um, each of the seven letters does three things. They use an element from chapter one to give each church a piece of the picture of who Jesus is. So that means that through the seven letters, Jesus is described in his fullness. By giving one piece of the picture to each church, we then together present and represent the complete image of Jesus to the world. No one church has a monopoly on the fullness of Jesus Christ. It's only together that we represent him fully. Each of the seven churches also has what you might call like a state of the union address. Uh, it's a comment from Jesus to the church about the situation the church finds itself in. And that section gives us really important insight into the successes and the failures of the churches then and the church today. Now, each of those little state of the union addresses, they have an affirmation for all the churches except for one. And one of the churches says, there's nothing good to say about one of the churches. And there's a condemnation for all the churches except for two. And we're going to look into that a little more and see what that means for us over the next couple weeks. And the last thing is that each letter has a promise. It says there's a reward for those who conquer. And that word conquer is so important, but it's also really sobering. It's a military term. And it's a word that tells us right from the start that this is going to be a battle. That the Christian life is going to be a struggle. It's a struggle against anyone or anything that will try to turn us away from Jesus. You see, cover to cover, Scripture testifies to a difficult truth that other than Jesus, everything in this life is a potential idol. And we have to listen and pay attention so that we can recognize who or what we are actually worshiping from day to day. So I just want to encourage you as you listen, as I'm about to read these letters in their entirety, listen for the revelation of who Jesus is, that complete picture. Listen for the victories and then also the dangers that exist for his church. And then listen for the promises that he makes to those who persevere in worship and in obedience of the one who is forever faithful and true. So listen as I read these letters to the seven churches. First, to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate the wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. But this I hold against you. You've forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But this you have in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
And to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came back to life. I know your afflictions and your poverty, but you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews, but they are not. They are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid about what you're going to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. But nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, so repent. Otherwise, I will come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deed your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. And nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating the food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely until they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. But now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any further burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who's victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, the one that will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them into pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. 
for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I'll come to you. Yet you have some people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white because they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. And I will never blot out the name of the person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon, so hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who's victorious I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And finally, to the church, the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. How I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you were wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. So there's a lot going on there, and over the next couple weeks, we'll talk about some of the imagery and explain what some of that means. One of my favorite examples, we talked about this in my class uh, last week, uh, to the church in Pergamum, one of the promises he makes them is that he will give them this white stone that'll have a new name written on it that only that person will know. 
And I've read a ton of stuff, and one of the authors that I like, he said, he said okay, there's at least nine different interpretations for that. <laughs> so there's a lot of different ways to understand some of this. But one of the most common ways to understand that white stone is a tradition from that day where when you became friends, an intimate acquaintance, somebody like, you know, best friends or whatever, you'd give each other a stone. And on that stone, I would write my name and give it to Mark. Mark would write his name on a stone and give it to me and I would keep it and I would treasure it and it would be a symbol of our relationship even if we never see each other again. The idea here is that for the one who is victorious, they receive a white stone, but it's a stone that has a name for Jesus that nobody else gets to know. Like it's a gift just for you, that you get like your own personal name for Jesus, a name that he'll respond to, that he will know when you're calling him that name. It's just this beautiful image. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to be so intimate with us, but it's part of his promise. And it's really beautiful. So there's a lot to talk about over the next couple of weeks, and we'll talk about some of those things. One question uh, came up in my class last Wednesday, um, and it was about the way the church received these letters. And this is really important. Uh, it's important to remember, they didn't just receive the letter that was written to their personal church. They didn't, you know, the church in Ephesus didn't just get the letter to the church in Ephesus. John wrote Revelation from beginning to end. And then he sent that letter first to the church in Ephesus. So all of the churches received the entire letter. They received the revelation, which contained both the revelation of Jesus and the letters to all seven churches. So think about what that means. The pastor at the church in Ephesus, the first one to read the letter of revelation to a church, he reads it to his church. And then after reading the letter to Ephesus, he goes right on to read the letters to Smyrna and Pergamum and on and on. So I've often thought, if I were the pastor at Smyrna or Philadelphia, if you remember, they were the ones who didn't have anything against them, I probably would have struggled not to read those letters and had a little bit of pride. <laughs> I would have struggled to not read the other letters with a little bit of judgment. If I were the pastor of the church in Ephesus and Thyatira, I would have read my letters with a lump in the throat. <laughs> but then I probably would have said, but hey, wait, don't worry, y'all. Wait till you hear Laodicea. <laughs> They are the worst. <laughs> These letters are for the church, written to seven specific churches. And when we read these letters together, we find this full description of Jesus from the seven, one for each church that paints the whole picture. We discover that Jesus is present among us in the midst of the joys and the suffering that we face in this life that Jesus was and is and always will be, that he is the one who conquered death and delivers us into new life. We discover that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the one whose eyes can pierce through the masks that we wear, the facades that we build, that he's the one that can see through how fake we are to the truth of who we really are. And even in seeing through that, chooses to love us anyway. We see that he is the one who has the final word for his church on all things for this life and the next. That his word is a weapon against evil. It's a weapon against lies and mistruth. And then finally we learn that Jesus is God's amen. That he is faithful and true. That he is the only one worthy of our trust, worthy of our hope, 
worthy of our worship, and worthy of our obedience. When we read these letters together, we find these seven promises, one for each church, that paints the whole picture of what's waiting those who are faithful. We discover the beautiful rewards that are waiting for those who remember their first love, who don't lose that passion. For those who endure suffering in his name. For those who remember and hold fast to the truths that were taught. For those who live lives in accordance with that truth. We discover the rewards waiting for those who avoid spiritual apathy. For those who repent and hold fast to God. And for those who don't settle for a lukewarm faith, but are hot after the redeeming love of Jesus. I told the earlier service when I wrote that, I read it and I was like, man, that's a little steamy. (laughs) Um, But that's how he wrote it. (laughs) Because he's passionately in love with us. And he's asking for that passionate love in return. Not religion, not routine, not going through the motions because we're supposed to. A passionate two-way love between a bride and her groom, between a father and his children. So over the next couple weeks, we're going to dig into the heart of these letters. That affirmation and condemnation that Jesus gives to those churches 2,000 years ago, we're going to see how it's also affirmation and confirmation for us today. And as we do that, just like when we read through the Sermon on the Mount, it's going to be both comforting and really challenging for us. But for today, the so what for today, we must recognize the truth that we have evolved ourselves and that we have developed our own earlids, that we have selective hearing, and it allows us to rest in the comfort of what we already know and believe. And if we use that selective hearing when we approach Jesus, I believe these letters tell us that Jesus has strong words for us. It's one of the biggest issues in our culture today. We only hear what we already believe to be true. We only want to hear what we already believe to be true. And y'all, scripture just won't have it. Jesus won't have it. He won't let us live in these echo chambers where we only listen to the people that we agree with. There is right and wrong, there's truth and lie, and that comes from Jesus. But he's going to challenge our worldviews. He's going to challenge the worldviews that we've created. He's going to challenge our philosophy. He's going to challenge our politics. And most importantly, he's going to challenge our theology. There was a theologian that once said, the greatest challenge to my theology is scripture itself. That's been true in my life. Now the good news is that our worldview is being challenged not by some other flawed worldview and not by some human system but it's being challenged by the one who is faithful and true. The one who created everything and knows how this is all supposed to work. And that being also happens to be the one who loves you simply because he's good and he chooses to love you. He's the author of life. He's the one who holds the keys of death. So what if, what if we listen What if we listen to one another as a way of practicing what it will be like to listen to Jesus? What if we can be a people who can be corrected and humbly respond in repentance and then obedience so that we can live the lives that we're called to live? 
So over the next couple weeks, as we dig into these letters a little deeper, for those who have an ear to hear, let us hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, it's good to hear your word read in these big chunks. That's how it was meant to be read. In our culture, we break it down verse by verse, and we learn a lot that way, but sometimes we just need to soak in it. We need to hear comforting and difficult truth, not argue with it, not debate it, just soak in it so that it can transform us. So God, I pray now that we've read through that long passage tonight that over the next couple weeks we can begin to see really practically what it means for us, for First Pres Kingwood right now in this place, what does it mean for us to be a church who listens and obeys? So guide us mercifully through that process. Be present with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.